Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I want to talk about something that's kind of been on my mind for a while. Um, We are in a weird time in our country. That's about the best way I can say it. Not that we haven't had more weird times in our nation's history than we could probably count, but an especially weird time where we're coming out of a, a crippling circumstance with COVID and we're trying to do our best to get back to normal and trying to take steps forward with our lives. And there's things that are progressing us forward and things that are holding us back. And the one thing that I've been noticing, as a lot of you have been noticing, because I've talked to a lot of you about it as well, it's how the paradigm has changed in living for others and living for ourselves coming out of this. Now, I want you to keep in mind, there was some amazing selfless things that happened during the height of the pandemic. There were people that were volunteering 10, 15, 20 hours of their time to just take their own vehicles and run medical supplies back and forth. There were sports teams that were lending their vans, their cars, their jets to fly medical supplies back and forth. There were people that were checking up on people voluntarily after work just to make sure that their patients were doing okay. Like incredibly selfless acts. And it was amazing to see that. But then as we started to wane on COVID, this realization came back in of, oh, we got to continue on with our lives. And we started to see this paradigm shift of, is it convenient for me to go back to the way I was before COVID? And that's where the whole point of this lesson comes from. Probably some of us have uh, been touched by COVID in ways to where we might have lost family members, we might have lost jobs, uh, we might have lost things that are very important to us. And, and for that, I'm truly sorry. I know our family has been touched by it for sure. Truly sorry for that. But now that we are trying to get back to it, we have to examine who we are inside. Are we a nation that's going to lift ourselves back up and keep going? Or are we a nation that's going to live for ourselves? But more importantly, are we a people of God that is going to lift ourselves back up in praise to him or just fall into the everyday life of what's best for me and my family right now? So there's a big word right there on the top of your page, humility. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, humility. Now, I titled this lesson Humility First because we have a saying in my family of civility first. That's something that we say all the time. That's something like when there's a, uh, maybe a coworker that's giving us a really hard time and we would just like to really, we say civility first. <laughs> Remember that? Or that guy that cuts us off in traffic and my wife turns to me and says civility first. <laughs> you know, it's a kind of reminder of to always be civil, to always remember who we are as Christians, to never be aggressive and to always take that time to realize what's truly important and not to act on our own selfish needs. But right now, we are in a crisis situation for humility. And I want to talk tonight about what this means. I've broken it down into a few categories, and you could probably put 10, 15 categories into this, and we could talk about it for the next three lessons. But tonight, I've honed it down to a few key areas. And again, guys, these are just reminders. My, my hope is that when we leave tonight, just with these reminders, we go out as a humble servant of God. That's the whole goal is to go out with a little bit more humility than maybe we had coming into this. Humility, the first one in your notes, humility in being, just existing, our humility in that. We live in a self-first society, and while some would argue that we always have, 
The paradigm shift has become more significant over the last few decades. There are many factors that have led to a more self-centered society, such as increased hours at work, higher paying jobs, social media, greater access to technology, higher priced luxuries, and overall, if it doesn't suit me or it inconveniences me in any way, I'm not going to do it. That has become our battle cry as a nation. Now think about that, I, the things that I talked about that, modern luxuries, technology, things that we have, it's exciting, I want it, I gotta get it, I'm gonna work for it more, I have to have that, because if I don't have that, and they do have it, I'm a lesser person for that, and that is obviously not an act of humility, that's an act of keeping up, or even one-upping your neighbors by doing all that thing. Social media, why have a social media if you don't have likes? Why have a social media if you're not getting followers? What's the point, right? I got to get more followers. I'm going to post this amazing thing. I'm going to get more. And I'm not downgrading anybody who has social media. That's fine. It's a great way to keep in touch. I mean, it's, it's something that we've never had before. It's a great way to share God's message back and forth with one another. But again, we're talking about the soul driving force to pump yourself up rather than to do something as an act of humility for that. Our nation's mindset has become the more money I have, the more likes, followers, and shares I get on social media, and the more time I spend in the gym, tanning boosts, and plastic surgery, the more successful I'll be. This is the complete antithesis of what scripture tells us. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That's it. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to the gym, obviously go to the gym. I can't say you need to lay in the backyard and get a tan. I will not. I'm Irish. It's impossible. <laughs> Much as I try, I'll just turn out looking like a lobster, but that's okay. You can do that if you want. Is that your driving force for existence? Is that what makes you or defines you? Is waking up to those 25 notifications the next day of your post the only thing that keeps your day floating? And if it's not there, does it crash your day down? Where's your humility in being? God has never intended for the spotlight to be on us. Let me say that again. God has never intended for the spotlight to be on us through our own accomplishments, but rather for us to be the spotlight to others looking for a godly example to help navigate them through this dark world. This can only be achieved through humility, throwing off the encumbrance of self and living for God first. I have never looked, and I can be 100% honest with you in this, I have never looked at a man or woman of God and said, I wonder how many followers they have on their page. Never. I never have looked at a man or woman of God that I see doing something great and say, I wonder where they work out. I've never looked at a man or woman of God and said, man, they serve so faithfully, I wonder how much money they make. It's not something that is in your mindset. Instead, you look at that man or woman and God and say, I wonder what makes them so happy. I wonder what makes them keep going when I would have given up a long time ago. I wonder what makes them go around and visit a hundred other people before they take care of themselves. What drives them to do that? That's the spotlight God intended for us to be. So the very first simple section here is just completely changing who we are as a being. Do we live for God or do we live for ourselves? Now the following categories here are going to help us kind of answer that question. Things that we can do in our life to hopefully help.
So, all right. Uh, humbleness at work. Now more than ever, we live in a society where workers are in demand, and many can people, people can pick and choose where they want to work, and that is true. So right now, with this whole new job swing, this boom coming back, everybody's coming back, there has been more government assistant programs and things like that to just throw money out at companies and say, go hire people. I can tell you personally, we are hiring now at our job at at least 25% higher than we were per, per COVID for that per hour. We're throwing money at people that don't want to work. We are saying not only are we throwing money, but we have bumped up our benefits higher than we have ever had at our job. We're giving people dental and health and all these things that they can't get in a lot of early education places or private schools. We're giving it to them, and they don't want to work. It's amazing. I, I get the... Uh, a pleasure it's not a pleasure <laughs> I get the opportunity to screen people before I bring them in for interviews and I'll have people that apply and they'll come in and or they'll call me on the phone and I'll say okay you know what's your experience uh, no, I don't have any experience okay <laughs> what is your uh, what is your work history I don't have much work history I've been at a couple places for about six months okay all right do you have any desire to teach well you know teaching might be fun might be something I'll think about Plan on going to school for it? I don't know if it presents itself, maybe. Okay. How much are you looking to make? I'm probably about 20, 21 an hour. <laughs> All right. So I do my best not to just hang up, and I just say, thank you very much. I don't think you'll be a good fit for our school, <laughs> and I hang up for it. But that is what we are looking for, and that is not a sole call. I've gotten many, many calls like that for it. We have really upped who we think we are <laughs> as a society and what we deserve. Some of that is due to COVID, but some of that is due to a generation now that's become more selfish and more selfish. You're saying, oh, no, here goes the old guy again, talking about younger generations, just like we did with our parents. But you know what? Our parents were right <laughs> to some extent. Every new generation pushes that envelope a little bit more of what I deserve, what I deserve, what I deserve. Coming out of COVID, businesses are hiring at higher levels, yet people only want to work on the terms and what they feel, uh, on their terms and what they feel comfortable with. This has created a high demand and a low work ethic, directly conflicting with the words of God. We're going to read a lot of Paul tonight. I'll just let you guys know that. We're going to be doing a lot of it, and a lot of it is in Thessalonians. And let's read through this and just kind of see what Paul says here. 2 Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, let's just unpack that verse real quick. What does he say? Keep away from any brothers. Now, if you go back and look at some of the commentary on it, this actually is talking about shaming a brother. Yeah, you, uh, you don't want to work and you don't want to take care of your family. Uh, I ain't got nothing to do with you. All right. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even we were with you, we could give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not as busy at work, but as busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. 
Paul is telling them, you know, we could have just asked you for the food that we ate, but we paid you for it. We worked for it. We toiled for it. And we did that because we wanted to be an example to you of what a person is, what a person should be. Idleness is the devil's tool. I'm sure we've all heard that. We've seen it stitched on pillows. We've seen it up on the walls. Idleness is the devil's tool. Using the term busybody that they have in here, the actual translation is not just a person that gossips, but a person that intentionally meddles into something positive someone else is doing. So these people not only were working, but they were going around and trying to destroy the work of other people, trying to interfere. And Paul is saying, this is evil. You need to stop this. If you do not work, you do not get the right to eat. Now, does that mean you can't work because you threw out your back, your arm, your leg? No. Is this talking about you can't work because you have applied for 47 jobs and no one has given you a call back? No. <laughs> what we're talking about here is the willingness to not take care of you and your family because you don't want to. That word idleness is huge just sitting by. You know, we think of a car idling. It's just kind of muttering, staying in place, not going forward or backward, just waiting. And that's what we're doing when we idle here, just staying in place. Let the world move around us. Let the world take care of us. Paul says, no, I condemn this. Be like us, work hard. Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica that work is necessary not only to provide the necessities for your family, but to keep them from falling into the evils that come with idleness. We must keep in mind that work in the days of Paul and the apostles was very trade-based and required a lot of grueling labor, required humbling themselves to endure back-breaking labor, sweaty conditions, operating in dust and dirt and working long hours. This act of humility through work of itself was ministering to others through the example. Now, Paul was a tent maker, and I think we get the, uh, the idea in our head that he just took a piece of canvas and a thread. It was kind of like Cinderella and, you know, in Disney, and he sewed it through, and when he got done, beautiful tent. No, it was back-breaking labor being a tent maker. I looked up at some of the tents that they kind of had at that time period, what they had. Tents were made out of canvas sometimes, a canvas-like material, not canvas like we have nowadays, and they were riveted together sometimes with steel, but they were also made out of these, these heavy pieces of wood that would make almost kind of a, like a teepee shape, if we can say in our, our age with that which required a lot of backbreaking work, sawing, getting these things together to create, and then clothing them in this uh, outer garment type of thing to keep uh, um, rain off. And then if you had to make a large size for a family, it's something that could, cost, that could take up to weeks to create. So Paul wasn't just sitting down and nicely doing something in the spare hours he has. He was doing grueling labor in order to make this money, to buy his own food, to serve as an example to God's people. Acts 20, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. I'll read that verse again from Paul. I have not coveted anyone's silver or, or gold or clothing. Let's put it in our terms. I have not longed for, thirsted for, wanted for, envied anybody's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself is more blessed to give than receive. Do you feel like that is our motto as a society nowadays? It is more blessed to give than receive. 
how much are you going to give me? That is a literal question that was asked in a pre-screening interview of me. I have one more question. How much are you going to give me? That was a question. I'm zero because we're not having this interview anymore <laughs> with that question. I can answer that really easy, but that is our mentality. It's very hard when considering this current generation to not feel some sort of resentment for the work ethic that's being displayed. We must remember that by our own examples, we are teaching them to work unto the Lord just as Paul did. We must also remember that whatever we find to do for work, we must do it unto God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Jesus was a carpenter. Think of how hot it is right now <laughs> outside. Think if that chance came for you to be a carpenter and you had to haul these two-by-fours and other pieces of wood that don't come from a mill factory. <laughs> You're cutting, chopping, lathing yourself hammering those in by the sweat of your brow. Jesus didn't have to do that. God could have said, hey, go down to earth, do my thing, I got you covered, there'll be food that comes at night, you'll be good, a clothing package will show up every day, you try it on, you'll be good to go. Nope, instead, he, Jesus took on one of the hardest professions at that time. And he did it for one reason, to serve as an example to his family, to his brothers and sisters, to his future disciples for that. We must be humble in our work, and we must show others the example of how we work unto God. My wife always says to our daughters, she says, it doesn't matter what you do, you can do whatever you want. If you're a toilet cleaner, make sure you're the best one in the world. <laughs> if you're a garbage man, make sure you are the best one in the world, because people are going to attach the word Christian to you when they find out who you are. I would, I care about how you serve your God. If you never at work, if when you come, you do the very minimum possible, if you call out all the time, if you say things about your coworkers, if you stab people behind the back, why do I care what you have to say about God? I don't wanna serve your God. I wanna stay as far away as possible if you were his representation. But when you see that person working hard day in and day out, I wanna be like them. Next one here, number three, humility with your family. We have to show humility with our family. For more and more family, the needs of the individual have taken precedence over the needs of the family. In the current day, having a spouse and children has often become a status symbol rather than a union of love. Marriage and family are just something you do in order to feel fulfilled and in some cases, to feel like you haven't failed at life. This is not an act of selfless love as God intended with a spouse and children, but instead self-fulfillment, selfishness. I gotta get married because I'm 35 and I think it's about time and if I don't, there goes the nuclear family dream out the window. So I'll go find somebody, um, we'll settle. Gotta have two kids because time's running out for me. Gotta get two kids because that's what you're supposed to do. And then what happens, you turn around and look at it and say, Man, I got that goal of what everybody said I should have, but I don't really want it. And that's because it was never done out of a place of love. Rather, when people are in God, they're in Christ, they find each other, they fall in love and say, let's let this love grow by having family. And their love grow by having children of their own. 
And as the scripture tells us, increasing those quivers, those arrows in our quiver that we can shoot out all over the world to spread God. That is what was intended. It wasn't intended to be a status symbol. I found this article. It's a pretty eye-opening article by a family psychologist, Dr. David Brooks. He wrote this book called The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And it wasn't saying that you shouldn't have a family and all those things. What he was saying is the pressure that we put upon ourselves to do it and then have the family fall apart afterwards. There's the mistake. It's what's the intention. He makes the case that our society's shift from self-sacrifice to self-fulfillment is at the root of the collapse of the modern family. As he writes, people with an individualistic mindset tend to be less willing to sacrifice self for the sake of the family and the result is more family disruption. This is not an indictment on families, but an indictment on the motivations of individuals that are not placing others before themselves. Whew. I just really want to be married. That's it. I just really want to have a family. But I just really want to be a sports star. <laughs> I just really want to fulfill my hobbies. I just really want to spend a couple of weeks away while I go vacationing in Europe with my buddies. I just really want to miss my daughter's recital at school because I got to put in those couple extra hours because I want to make that car payment on that car I want to get. Self, 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 self. It's the complete opposite of what the scripture tells us, Ephesians 5. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband. I'm sorry, I have to walk. I don't know why. <laughs> I always have to do that when I'm up here. I apologize. Keeps my feet from falling asleep, I guess. Our goal was to serve God, and as a gift to us, God gave us the opportunity to have a spouse, to have a family. And when you get a gift from somebody as great and as wonderful and as powerful as God, your job is to nourish it, not forsake it. Your job is to place it first in your life, not to forget about it down the line somewhere. We all fall victim to that at some point or another. Where we have to stand in front of the mirror and say, I have not been doing enough for my family. I have not been spending enough time. I put these things first in my life. All the time I have to catch myself personally well, man, it's been work, 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 work. That's a song I know, but it's been a song. I didn't mean it to come out that way, but, you know, nothing but work. And now I have to try to reconcile the things with my family and all the things I missed on. But here's the thing. Once they're gone, they're gone. You can try to go back and capture it, but it's not going to happen. Not to the same as it would have been. You never get those first back. And I'm not just talking about a husband and a wife and kids. I'm talking about your parents, your siblings. It's hard. I have 
I've talked about it before. I have a mother that's hanging on. She's, she's in her final days. She is strong. She come from Irish roots. <laughs> and we uh, don't die just out of spite. <laughs> so she is strong. And so I've been getting to spend some time with her. And I go sit there with her, and she is in her hospital bed, smile on her face, joking. But inside, I know her body is crumbling apart. She's in a lot of pain. And when I ask her, hey, how's it going? She says, pretty good. And there'll be times when work has been really rough. I have had a day, and it's my day to go see my mom. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's tomorrow. Maybe I'll go visit her tomorrow. And I'll make that choice. And then I will selfishly be like, hey, I get to go home and rest for a second. And think, man, what if her last day was today? All the time my wife is like, you sure? Let's go down, let's go see her, I'll meet you there. <laughs> we go and we sit down and I love it. I have a good time, we have some laughs, it's good. But if I take that day away, I won't ever get it back. It's gone. Is it selfish of me to want to get some rest? No, <laughs> it's not. But is it selfish for me to put myself first when I know that I can do more for others? Absolutely. God does not want us to live a life that is go, 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 go. You're doing 300 volunteer jobs. You're doing all of this work. You're taking care of everybody, and you don't leave any time for yourself or your family. Not what God intended. God gave us family for a reason. But is our goal in life to serve God through our family and time spent there, the quality time that we have for them? Because once it's gone, you're never going to get it back. If we have no intention of changing the focus of our wants and desires for our own selfish pursuits to the needs, love, and encouragement of our family first, we have no business entering into a relationship and are, in fact, irresponsibly doing a disservice to those we bring into the relationship with us. Maybe if I could give you three points to take away tonight, that would be one of them. If your goal to finding a spouse or having children isn't to put them first and show them love. Don't drag them into it. It's not fair. It's not fair. If your goal is not to give your children the love and support that you need to give them, don't drag them into this. It's not fair. Now, I don't think anybody here who's had a child, I hopefully, is just like, hey, I can't wait to have this child so I never have to see them again. <laughs> That's not how it is. I know. I applaud for, for Brian coming up here, excited to see his kids come back. That's great. That's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly what we're talking about. But please understand that relationships are a gift from God, and it's through humility by putting them first that we make them successful. I want to throw this out here. This is something that was told to me when um, I was younger. By um, Boy, he probably at that time was married for about 40 years. And he said his key to a successful marriage was, was an equation. And you know me? math and science and all those things. I love that. So he had it down to an equation. He called it the 70-30 rule. I wake up every day expecting to give 70% and I expect 30% back. That was his rule. I'm like, okay. He's, I could have heard that somewhere, could have made up his own whatever. That's great, 70-30. But then you say, whoa, that's not fair. You should at least get 50, right? 50-50. But his argument was my wife wakes up with the same exact rule. So now you're giving 70, she's trying to give 70, right? And now you have 140% of love going on. You actually come out ahead with your sacrifice for that. 
Same thing true with your children. I expect 30% back for them, but I'm going to give them 70% of myself. If they are feeling the same way towards you, that relationship grows stronger and stronger every day because you're there for each other. Now keep in mind, this is just a metaphorical number put out there, but it shows that when we put the other people first, we actually get back more. Deeper relationships, deeper roots, deeper love for the people in our lives. So now we're going to move on to the next one, and this is where I'm going to lose everybody. <laughs> so number four, humility towards government. Like I was with you, Ryan, too. You threw that one in right there. <laughs> so... I want to preface this by saying that our humility towards government does not mean that we do and say everything that our government wants us to do if it goes against the laws of God. Let's just put that out there. We have one ruler, our Father in heaven, who allows the people of this earth to be in the positions they are. That is the preface for it. So please take that in mind as we go through this. First Peter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds a little foreboding right there. As a Star Wars fan, that sounds like the uh, cry of the Imperials. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is, we're talking about a time when Nero was the emperor. If you want to talk about a vile human being, you got it with Nero. And now here I'm being told that we have to honor him. What does that mean? Showing humbleness and humility for, for their leadership? Does that mean I have to stand there in a court and say, Nero is the best emperor ever. I am so happy to be under his regime. Persecution. Pfft. It happens to all of us. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that if laws are set into place that do not directly conflict with our laws of God, we are to follow them. And in doing so, what are we creating out of ourselves? An example. It all goes back to being the example. All goes back to being an example. How can I stand there before you and tell you that I am a Christian, that I love God, that I follow righteousness, that I look for life, when the next minute I'm breaking every law and rule that I can? It becomes blasphemy. I don't want to be like that person. How can I stand before you and say, you must turn your eyes towards God and live a life through faith when I am secretly over here doing everything wrong to bring repro reproach against myself and my family? We follow rules because they're set in place. Here's a, here's a big one. We follow rules because they're set in place by man who is allowed to exist because of God. And that's it. We may not like them. We may not want them, but we are subject to them. There was a big push in the church about 10 years ago about paying taxes. And there were people in the church that straight out said, I absolutely will not pay taxes. It is wrong. I am paying to a government that spouts evil and funding them is going to only make them create more evil. And there was a big group of people in the following of that. Where other people said, well, the scripture says render unto Caesar what's Caesar, so we should be paying our taxes through that and it split some churches through that and I remember 
that we had a preacher that came and visited, and he kind of addressed it just subtly on the side. But he said, y'all pray at tax day? Wow. Nope. Never have. One time. Press that little button and submit, and thank you, TurboTax, for doing your work, and that's it. Do you pray for tax day that the money where you're going is going to the right places? That the people that are going to have it are going to make the right choices? That the people that God can put in place to take that money and do wonderful things are going to be there? I have never paid for, prayed for a tax day. But that is how we have God control what is happening here on earth, through prayer. I've had people tell me, I just can't wait till this president gets out of office. I heard that for the last four years, and I hear it again. I can't wait till this president gets out of office. Because you guess you know what's going to happen? Another one's going to get in, and they're going to be just as bad, because you cannot live in our political society without having some ounce of corruptness. You will not get elected. That's just the truth. I'm sorry, I'm telling you that. As a college student, I've gone through many classes <laughs> understanding that's the way it works. You have to cut a corner here. You have to take a deal there. You have to do something. And that's terrible. It's terrible. But all that is is to say that the next person in come in place is not going to probably be the savior we're hoping for, realistically. Because our savior is not here on earth. Our savior is here in heaven. But he can move that person to do good in the lives of others through our prayer. And that's where our humility in serving him comes from. That's where our humility comes in saying, we're going to follow these, Lord, these rules, Lord, and understanding that you're the one who put him in place. This does not mean that we compromise the laws of God to serve the laws of man, but what it does mean is following the laws of man as an act of obedience to God, showing others you are doing good in order to silence their foolishness and bring others to Christ through your example. All right, let's move on to our next one here. This is where the whole civility first line comes in. Humility and disputes. Now, we are all going to have disputes and arguments. Ephesians 4, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Others will make us angry, and it's a fact. It's recognized right here in the scripture. Be ye angry, but sin not. But Paul also admonishes us that we must not allow the anger to make us lash out or sin. And he also puts another safeguard by saying we should not allow our anger to last. Being able to understand your anger, but be able to pull it back. It's just a sign of humility, but also a sign of emotional intelligence. There's a, a quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald. I like this quote because I think this sums up this concept right here. The ability to hold contrary thoughts in your mind and still be able to function is the test of first-rate intelligence. <laughs> to be so mad, but to sin not. That's intelligence. <laughs> I was driving the other day through a, a little parking lot. My wife was on the speakerphone with me. And the sun, it was early in the morning, the sun was coming up, and the car that was coming towards me probably was blinded in the parking lot. But as she turned, she missed the front of my car, I would say by three inches, enough to where we could have high-fived each other as <laughs> she turned, all right? And I screamed, I was so mad, I'm like, that? I didn't say a bad word, no, but I, I won't say the other, you know, 
out of, out of uh, being nice. I can't believe I almost got hit from that. And my wrath and my anger was right there. Was it okay to be angry? Probably. I almost got into something serious right there. Could have hurt me. Could have hurt her. But what would have happened had I followed her to where she parked and got out and yelled at her and said, I can't believe you just did this. Now, am I going crossing the line from what Paul said? Yes, I can be angry about it. But do I send not? Yes. Do I need to go ruin that woman's day? Who may not have even seen me because of the sun. Do I need to go do something to their vehicle because they almost did something to mine? No. And do I let that take, do I let that carry into my day of work and affect me in everything else I do? No. This whole do not let the sun go down in your wrath thing, that is talking about a time frame. I, I looked up some commentaries on this. It wasn't an actual like 24 hour period of time. They were using it as a time frame. Just like we used to tell kids, you know, three more sleeps till Disneyland, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> that was the same thing for time back then. Three more sundowns, you know, and then I'll be there. That's about my day's trip on there. So Paul's saying, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not let it last. Do not let it affect your life. Do not let it be put into your whole mindset for your day to where you're starting to put that onto other people. Do not let it go down on your wrath. So yes, you can be angry and sin not at the same time. And as F. Scott Fitzgerald said, that's the test of first-rate intelligence. So if you can do that, congratulations. One of the biggest challenges we face is knowing that we're on the right side of an issue and humbling ourselves to forgive and reconcile. We do this with the understanding that time will most definitely come when we are on the wrong side of an issue, as we will want that same mercy shown Paul reminds us in the scripture to show that same forgiveness as Christ has shown us. Let us not forget our Lord's words. Forgive them. They know not what they do. That one car that almost hit me, forgive her. She didn't know what she was doing. That's real hard to say when you're not Jesus Christ. It's real hard to live up to. That's what we must do to show humility. Have you ever apologized for something that was the other person's fault? I have. It's weird. It's real weird. You go up to them and you know they did them wrong and you, you try to take the high road and say, oh man, uh, maybe I misunderstood you. I'm sorry I put it on me. And you know you didn't misunderstand them. They totally meant what they were meaning to do. <laughs> but maybe I did. Maybe I was wrong. I don't know. You know, maybe I did. Maybe I said something wrong. Maybe I offended you. I'm sorry. And what's the look back? Oh, no, they never say, oh, yeah, yeah, you were wrong. No, it's always that look of, whoa, surprise. They caught you being Christian, and it throws them off. And they say, hey, okay, cool. Have you ever been in a car accident where somebody has come to you? I've been in one where somebody has rear-ended us, and my, um, I was in the passenger seat, and the person driving, he got out and ran over to the other car, and I was like, oh, no. And he ran over, he's like, are you okay? He knew the other guy just hit him and caused damage to his car, and now he's going to have to go through this lengthy thing through his insurance. But his first thought was, are you okay? I don't care about anything else. You're at fault. You're wrong. You did everything wrong. You should have been paying attention. You shouldn't be falling so close. Nope, it was, are you okay? He humbled himself in that moment. It was more important than to yell at that person and say, what were you thinking? This is our representation of God to others. 
Forgive them, they know not what they do. I wouldn't say I have anger issues <laughs> at all. I actually feel like growing up in the church, I've had a lot of uh, humility in my life shown to me by other people. So it's helped me to not have a quick judgment towards others. But I think if I had to pick one thing on this list that I wish I had more of, it was this. Being an administrator, being a boss, quote-unquote, I am always quick to make a judgment on somebody. They call in, I make a judgment. They say something wrong, I make a judgment. They make a wrong move in their classroom, I make a judgment. And I try so hard to not do that. And this last Monday, I had a teacher call out. She's called out about 15 times this year. <laughs> Probably should have terminated her already at this point. But she said, my sister got in a rollover accident in Mexico. They're air vacuuming her in. Um, I'm going to go to the hospital. I'll get a note for you. And I'm thinking, a note? They're going to send you a note? Sure enough, got an email with a note saying, uh, so-and-so is visiting family in the hospital. Please excuse her for the day. And we kind of laughed about it. Like, I've never seen anything like this. It writes a note for excusing. So then she came back to work. And the whole time in my head thinking this is totally made up. She's missed 16 days. It's the 17th. I said, hey, how is your sister doing in that rollover accident? She goes, oh, not good, not good, let me show you. And she walks over and gets her phone and pulls up 14 pictures of her sister in cast, black and blue, blue face, laid out in a hospital bed, now out of ICU and in a normal room. And man, did I get a smack in the face from God right there. And my humility. <laughs> she was 100% telling the truth. Now, does that not mean that she didn't cry wolf 100 other times? Sure. But was that my time to make that judgment? So I just told her, I am so sorry. I said, I will pray for you and your family, for sure. Humility first. Humility first in everything. Which brings us into our next one here. Humility as God's representation, or representative, either one. When we present the word of God to others, we must present it in a way that it comes from someone who has been lost but is now found to someone who has lost but will be found. We cannot lose ourselves in our own perceived righteousness, but instead follow the same humility and the spirit that Christ used with the early disciples. The focus should never be on ourselves as representatives of God, but as God as the source of our salvation. Matthew 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We're losing the concept more and more as churches are turning into megachurches. Sanctuaries are turning into laser light shows. Sermons are becoming dog and pony shows with little meat to equip the believers, but bring people in on the promise of the greatest show on earth. Come to our church. It's going to be a blast. And it can be, being with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But I don't need to feel like I'm at Barnum and Bailey's every time I go in to worship my God. And more and more places are turning to that. Um, I've told Matt this before, but when we were trying to kind of find a church where we could kind of help out more, we visited a church where they had a stage with 
big light fixtures all over it, which is fine. Big light fixtures over it and everything. And they got on, and the worship team put on a pretty strong rock show, put it that way. And then the lead guitarist started doing that on his guitar. And he was like, and now, and he presented the pastor. And he said his name. And everybody started cheering. And the pastor came up from the back room and was like, hey, hey, guys, high five. And he walked down. And right away, it reminded me of when I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid. <laughs> now, from parts unknown, the ultimate warrior. And everybody cheered and laughed and clapped. And, and I was like, oh, man. He got up there, pointing, hey, everybody. And in the first five minutes, said three untruths about the scripture. But those people didn't come there for that. They came there for the show, and the show was good. And maybe they left feeling fulfilled. I don't want to judge the hearts of people. Maybe they did. But I feel like we lost what we were supposed to do with that. Matthew 13. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Jesus did not need theatrics, light shows, dancers, a hundred-member choir to preach the word of God. He needed a boat and an audience. We must remember that our greatest example taught with his, uh, with, um, with his finger firmly pointing towards God, excuse me, and not himself. When we teach the word of God, we must do the same. If we fail to do this, we not only bring down the glory and honor from God, but we place it firmly upon us, becoming an idol to be followed and worshipped and God will show no honor to us. Jesus could have had the greatest show on earth at any time. He could have had 10,000 angels behind him. He could have had his father speak directly to the disciples who were around him. Yes, he did miracles. Yes, he's preached to the masses but he did it 100% out of humility and humbleness. That I don't even have a place to sleep. He didn't wear the finest clothes. He didn't eat the finest foods. He didn't live the life befitting the Son of God. Instead, he decided to put away all those things that we would consider great on earth and be 100% humble and humiliated here on earth for us. You don't need a light show to bring people to God. You need honesty and humility. You need to stand before them and tell them your story. You need to stand before them and say, hey, you and I, the same. There's some churches out there, and I'm not even going to obviously say the name. There's no need for that that created superstars. That took their people, their men and their women, and made them celebrities over those who could teach their word. It's more important to have a backstage in a green room than a pulpit. It's where we lose it. It's where we lose it. One thing I have loved about this church is the humbleness and the humility not only shown by our pastors here and our worship leaders, but by our youth, by our youth, who by all means, everybody else would say all the rest of the around the world are selfish people that care about themselves first. 
but they are out there volunteering and working hard and bringing others in. And they don't say, I'm not going to come because you guys don't show a movie of the week. <laughs> I'm not coming because you guys don't have a snack bar sitting out for us. I'm coming because I want to have a deeper relationship with God. Good on you guys. Humility. Humbleness. I want to wrap this up tonight. Um, I'm a teacher, so i got to throw some teaching in there. But we're going to take it way down. We're going to go to kindergarten level here. I actually found this off of a family um, church site that for families that are teaching at home. This is kindergarten level explanation of what humility is. And I figured if we can't get it off of this, then we've lost it. So the simple idea is humility means being willing to learn. Saying, I don't know it all. People can teach me other things. To be humble is to be curious about others. How was your day? What are you going through? Tell me your story. I'm going to put you before myself today. Humble people listen because they know they don't know everything. To be humble is to always remember that God is bigger, smarter, and more powerful than we are. I like that one. Might be my favorite one. Humility is believing what God says is more true than what you think. I got to figure, that one's a hard one for us. We think we got it all figured out. No, actually God does. And it uh, doesn't coincide with what we think, but that means you just go with him by default because he knows more than us. To be humble is to trust that what God says about you is right. And what does God say about you? The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. That's it. Humility is not a suggestion, but a trait of a true believer. Those who are willing to be humble and to humble themselves, wash the feet of others just as our Lord will receive riches and honor, just as our Lord did, will receive riches, honor, and life. But these rewards are much greater than riches, honor, and life that man receives here on earth. These are eternal riches of heaven. The honor that's given by God and an eternal life with him. There is no greater reward for us and our humility for that. Be a Christian. That's it. Your humbleness will come through. Your humility will come through. And God, what he gives you is so much better than what you're going to give yourself. You're trying so hard to build your throne here on earth with things with, with honor, with achievements, all of these, these things that pile up on each other to say, look at how high my throne is. God's throne was a boat. It was a boat that he could sit on and talk to people. That's our humility right there, to remember that. 